This episode is brought to you by the American Distilling Institute's annual judging of craft spirits. Are you a distiller or brand owner? If you are, you should think about submitting your spirits for judging and evaluation at this year's annual event. Not only will you get a sense of how your products stand up to other distilled spirits on the market, but you'll also receive in-depth sensory feedback and recommendations from a panel of expert judges. If your spirit rises above the rest and receives best of class honors, you'll be given the opportunity to meet with ADI's three U.S. retail partners, Benny's Beverage Depot, K&L Wine Merchants, and Total Wine and more to discuss possible placement in their stores. Members of ADI, yes, you can become a member, receive a $100 discount per spirit submitted from the standard registration fee and all spirits entered by January 28th, 2022 that's right around the corner, will save $50 per entry with their early bird discount. Registration closes on February 25th, 2022. Visit distilling.com to learn more about the American Distilling Institute's annual judging of craft spirits and to submit your spirits for evaluation today. Now, on to the show. Modern. 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 We're prepping for a voyage. Modern. The force of an old-fashioned equals whiskey mass times bitters acceleration. Why don't you make that a double? Modern Bar Cart. What's shaking, cocktail fans? Welcome to episode 219 of the Modern Bar Cart podcast. I'm your host, Eric Koslick. Thanks for tuning in to another interview episode where we track down the best and brightest minds in the spirits and cocktail world so that we can share their secrets with you. This time around, I'm joined by Ian Blessing, co-founder of All the Bitter, a brand spanking new line of no ABV cocktail bitters that are grounded in excellent flavors and functional benefits. He and I taste and talk our way through their opening lineup of delicious bitters and discuss the challenges and major breakthroughs that occur when building a no ABV line of flavors. But before we start delving into the art and science behind initiating our favorite bitters formats into the non-alcoholic world, let's take a moment so that you can make yourself a drink. This episode's featured cocktail is the Trinidad Sour, key syllable being na, N-A for non-alcoholic. To make this ambitious no ABV drink, you'll need one ounce of American style no ABV whiskey, one ounce of all the bitter aromatic bitters, three quarters to one ounce of fresh lemon juice, and one ounce of orgeat, which is a spiced almond syrup most popular in tiki drinks. Combine these ingredients in a cocktail shaker with ice, give them a good hard shake, then strain into a stemmed cocktail glass and enjoy. This cocktail is of course modeled on the classic boozy Trinidad Sour and was developed by no ABV bartender and YouTuber Joshua James, who runs the beverage program at the Ocean Beach Cafe in San Francisco. It caught my attention after Ian posted it on the All The Bitter Facebook page because the Trinidad Sour really is a cocktail drinker's cocktail. The recipe that I just gave you is 
a roughly equal parts concoction, which isn't technically classic in most Trinidad sour recipes that you'll come across. But as we discussed later on in this interview, you can't always count on your no ABV cocktails having the same ratios of ingredients as the boozy originals. The important things in this recipe are the full ounce of no ABV bitters. That full ounce of aromatic bitters is the hallmark of a Trinidad sour. Then we've got the equal or almost equal amounts of both lemon and orgeat, right? The sweet and the sour that balance and offset one another. And finally, the presence of some kind of zero proof spirit that plays like a bourbon or a rye whiskey. The classic Trinidad Sour usually only plays with a quarter to a half ounce of whiskey, but remember, in the absence of that ethanol burn, you might need to crank up that volume a bit in order for the spirit to make its presence truly felt. In his recipe, Josh uses a bourbon-like no ABV spirit created by a company called Free Spirits. But there are others out there by companies like Spiritless, which, spoiler alert, we'll be featuring here on the podcast before too long. And if you're missing a bit of maltiness or spice that accompanies a traditional rye whiskey, you may even want to go half and half with something like the No ABV American Malt made by Liar Spirit Company, or maybe even their No ABV Spiced Cane Spirit, which is made to mimic sort of the spiced rum. At the end of the day, it's incredibly exciting that the alcohol-free cocktail space has gained enough traction to be able to create more complicated esoteric cocktails like the Trinidad Sour. But keep in mind that the best no ABV drinks don't simply mimic their erstwhile formulations one-to-one. They modify them to capitalize on the strengths of the new ingredients they employ. So, now that you've got a bitter, bodacious, and completely booze-free cocktail to play around with as we wrap up this dry January, let's turn our attention back to the interview. In this spirited discussion with Ian Blessing, co-founder of All the Bitter, some of the topics we discuss include how Ian's career as a sommelier at restaurants of all kinds, including the legendary French Laundry, led him to ponder and experiment with non-alcoholic spirits and cocktail ingredients. What happens when you decide to sidestep ethanol as an extracting agent and instead harness the solvent powers of vegetable glycerin and vinegar in your bitters recipe? As we taste through the initial lineup of All the Bitter, we also cover why Ian and his wife and business partner Carly roll out a platoon of bittering agents and also spotlight a featured functional ingredient in each of their flavors, including holy basil, lemon balm, and shisandra berry. We also dig into the medicinal history of these kinds of products and the really specific opportunity they hold in the no ABV cocktail space, which is to replace the somewhat anesthetic effect of alcohol with other functional and felt health benefits that can still impact your mood and homeostatic state. Along the way, we cover the difference between adaptogens and nervines, our mutual love for shrink banding thousands of bottles of bitters by hand, what numerical coincidence always makes Ian giggle, and much, much more. Before we transition here, I want to give a quick shout out to listeners like Jackie P, Sean W, and others, all of whom reached out to me and said, we want to know more about no alcohol spirits and cocktails. This interview marks the halfway point of the different interviews and conversations that we'll be featuring during and beyond dry January 2022. And I hope that you'll take a cue from friends like Sean and Jackie. If 
You want to know something? I'll do my best to give you more than you could possibly have hoped for. We'll have the full video of this interview over on our YouTube channel. And we did stream this live on Facebook and Twitch when we recorded it a few Fridays ago. So please keep your eyes out on our social media channels if you'd like to join us for one of our upcoming live streams. To pick up your very own set of no ABV cocktail bitters handmade by Ian and Carly, you can visit allthebitter.com and order yours today. And if you're not sure they'll be for you, just let me be your crash test dummy as I taste all three of their Keystone offerings during the middle part of this episode. With that, please enjoy this bitter, sweet, and functionally adaptogenic conversation with Ian Blessing, co-founder of All The Bitter. Ian, welcome to the podcast. Thank you so much for having me, Eric. So as we do with all our guests, let's just kick this off by having you introduce yourself. Who are you and uh, what do you do? Uh, my name is Ian Blessing, and I have been working in the restaurant industry for the past 15 years or so. Every style and, and, and shape of restaurant from fast casual to fine dining to full service to wine country casual, uh, eventually leading up to my time as a sommelier at the French Laundry for, for a few years eventually decided to quit drinking along with my wife, Carly. That led into and, and transitioned to what we're doing today, which is creating a line of alcohol-free cocktail bitters. Wonderful. Yeah, we have a few bottles that we're going to taste along our audio journey today. And uh, we're coming to this at a pretty exciting time because as I understand it, you're just about to launch this brand. Is that right? We are uh, next week, actually, the website and, and online store will will finally officially go live after many, many months of, of trying to get this up and running. Awesome, man. Well, congratulations. I, I know all the work that goes into that. So if anyone's joining us on the live stream, that'll be next week. And if you're listening to this uh, on the RSS feed, then uh, uh, we will give you all of the links and locations where you can go to check out the selection and uh, and order your bottle. But I, I so I wanted to dig in because to me, I've always thought of bitters in particular as being a culinary thing. Um, I had a grandfather who was a chef. Uh, I didn't really get into cooking and or flavor while he was still around. And I didn't really get to spend too, too much time in that space. But uh, definitely the reason why I wanted to get into the cocktail world is, is because I had some really interesting experiences in restaurants, in the service industry. And I wondered if you might speak a little bit more about um, the, I guess, the wine country casual, which is a, <laughs> a, a descriptor or a category that I hadn't encountered before. And then, of course, uh, I mean, you dropped a big name, which is uh, the French Laundry. So I, I'd love if you could uh, talk a little bit about what kind of cooking and what kind of flavor manipulation and experimentation you were doing in those settings that might have set you up for this brand. Sure. So I'll, I'll start with with Wine Country Casual. Um, when I, I moved from, from Southern California to Sonoma, I had just gotten into wine and 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 really quickly became fascinated and obsessed with the culture of wine, the flavors, the experience, the stories, the people, the history. I've never been a history guy, um, but for some reason, diving into the history and the places and the geography of wine really, really resonated 
with me really connected. I think part of the reason was because you got to drink while you did it, which, which always makes things more, more fun, you know, to a certain point. And we'll, I'm sure we'll get more into that later on, but I, I decided to move to Sonoma and I was working at a restaurant called the girl and the fig, which is a, a kind of popular local touristy destination in Sonoma. It was really my first experience with more elevated cuisine. I had come from great restaurants, but places like the Cheesecake Factory, you know, where I learned an incredible amount. I, I, I can't, I can't overstate the the importance of of restaurants like that and, and what I learned there. But this was really my first time pronouncing a, a single French word ever. Um, I think the you know the most exotic I got was a jambalaya. This was my first time with with classic culinary techniques, with uh, with terms, with sauces, with preparations, with the history of food, and so I went from diving into. And I had always been interested in beverage. Um, I, I had always loved beer and spirits and the history and stories behind them, but this was really my first time learning more about the history of food, and it was a great place. It was a great introduction to that world because it was a little more casual. It wasn't, it wasn't fine dining. You know, people were, people are in Sonoma to have a good time. You know, you're doing some tastings during the day. You stop by for a, a flounder and a glass of wine. And it was a really interesting, again, introduction to, to wine for me because the wine list uh, is, is a little eccentric. It's, it's only Rhone varietals. So a lot of California Rhone varietals, Syrah, Grenache, Morved, Roussan, Marsan, Pickpool, my favorite. So I got to really dive deep into the Rhone Valley, both in France and, and California. But that restaurant was a great introduction for me and, and, and really opened my eyes to, to food on a greater level. That then eventually led to the French Laundry. And I, I think one of the reasons why I got hired at The Girl in the Fig, when I started there, the owner asked me, she, she, said, she said, we're not the French Laundry. And I said, what's the French Laundry? I had literally never heard of the restaurant before in my life. Um, I had just picked up a book on wine. I had just gotten into wine. Um, I had no idea. And she said, I, after I said, what's the French Laundry? She, she said, you're, you're hired. Um, funny enough, a few years later, I, I applied for a job at, at the French Laundry. <laughs> so it was, it was an interesting transition for me to go from wine country casual to wine country fine dining and to the to the best in the world and, and the highest class in in the world and and for me to go from knowing very little about wine you know a, a few years prior and really diving into it to to really lucking out and and being able to secure an interview and a second interview and somehow get a job um, and and work my way up to to the wine team um, but the the to come back to it briefly, the, the culinary impact of bitters. And, and as you mentioned earlier, bitters are not only, you know, rooted in, in cocktails and drinks, but they do have such a, a, an amazing culinary component to them. The, the, the breadth and the spectrum of flavors that you can find in bitters. And for, for me, one of my favorite analogies and, and ways of explaining cocktail bitters to people that don't quite understand them is they're the spice rack of the bar. It's salt and pepper. Um, it, it's if a drink is missing something, it's usually one of a couple things: it's missing some bitters, it's missing acid, 
it's missing one of the, the primary components of flavors in the same way that, that food, if something's off, it's missing something. It's missing a little bit of salt or it's missing pepper. You add a little bit of salt to it and suddenly the dish tastes, tastes right. Cocktails are the same way. If something's missing, especially in the non-alcoholic cocktail world, it's usually, you know, a, a dash of vinegar uh, or a little bit of bitters or a little more acid. Um, so in, in, in the same way, bitters really do evoke um, kind of a culinary sense to them. Yeah. Yeah. I think it's probably the best way to explain them full stop. Um, you know, it's, it, it's, it's really wonderful to, I mean, I mean it, it's almost a little bit meta in that, like when you're trying to create a cocktail bitters formulation, which I'm sure we'll get into uh, as we begin our tasting here in a moment. Uh, but when you create that formulation, it in and of itself is a culinary practice because you, you know, you're creating this thing that is going to add balance to a cocktail, but in order to create that thing, you need to figure out all of the ingredients that are going to create a balanced flavor profile in a cocktail bitter. There are a couple of primary traditions and use cases that are all over the cocktail canon, like the aromatic and the orange that we have in front of us, as well as the Creole New Orleans style Peychaud-esque bitters that we also have here. Um, and, and there's a lot of decision-making that goes into that. I guess before we start jumping into the cocktail bitters, I mean, we are recording this in dry January <laughs> and, um, you know, there's, there's basically a two roads, two roads diverged approach to making cocktail bitters. You can use, you know, grain neutral spirits to extract, or you can go with a different extracting agent in order to create a non-alcoholic bitters. And that's what we have here. Now, as somebody who makes cocktail bitters using ethanol, I'm very familiar with that, but I'm, I'm really pretty alien to any other way to make them. So I, I wonder if you might back us into that process by talking about the decision to, uh, to go no ABV and uh, just, just, uh, some of the background behind that. Absolutely. So it is dry January. I, I, I tuned into last week's episode with Derek, which was phenomenal, you know, I, I to, to go a little bit backwards into, into our story and, and where we got here, my wife and I like, I don't want to characterize everybody this way because it's not the case, but the restaurant industry, the hospitality industry absolutely does promote or encourage, or it's chicken before the egg, you know, does it breed it or does it attract over drinkers? I'm not sure. I think it's both, but there, there is a drinking culture, obviously in restaurants. And my wife and I were both predisposed to over drinking. We found restaurants probably because there was a, a drinking culture not, not, and not just that there's, there's a sense of community. There's the, the drinks after work aren't just your typical 5 PM happy hour. It's you've been at war for 10 hours with 15 other people and you get off and you need release. You need to, you need to talk about your day. You need to talk about your guests. You need to talk about the good and the bad. And doing that over one, two, six drinks is, is usually the, the preferred method of, of finishing a shift. So we were both drawn to that pretty heavily. After having our first child, we decided that drinking was, was no longer in our plan. It did not suit us anymore. We tried, you know, about five or six months of, of, uh, of having a, a little baby and continuing to live the way that we were. And it was pretty apparent that that was not going to continue working for us. And so we both 
sought help. We both decided to, to quit drinking and, and we did that together. Quitting drinking is difficult for anybody. Um, people who are going through, what are we halfway through now, almost dry January. Um, mm-hmm. Especially, of course, if you're an over drinker, um, it's, it, it's, it's not, you often need medical assistance to quit drinking. That's how difficult it is. So it's a challenge to say the least. But as folks who were completely obsessed with beverage, both for the intoxicating effects, but also for the flavor of it, we both became sommeliers. We both got into wine because we loved the flavor, the story, the ritual, the connection, everything about it, aside from the ethanol, aside from the intoxicating effects. It was a, a huge loss for us. It was a huge loss for our, our ritual, for our daily lives, our connections with other people. Of course, we were just before the pandemic. So, of course, you know, a, a few months into not drinking, now we're also totally isolated um, and we don't even have that option if we wanted it. So it was a, there was a huge gap. There was a huge void in our lives by not being able to enjoy the drinks that we used to love so much. Finding, discovering that the non-alcoholic beverage world had evolved considerably since O'Doul's, which as a, as a beverage and, and bar manager, like many, I refused to stock or put on the cocktail list, put on the beer list. If somebody ordered no duels, I would begrudgingly walk down the street and, and purchase a six pack from the liquor store and walk it back because I couldn't be bothered to order it through my normal liquor reps, which is insane, but that's a whole other story. That was all I knew of non-alcoholic beverages. So about six months into not drinking, we, we tasted a, a, a non-alcoholic IPA and we're blown away that first of all this exists you you mean i can i can have an ipa i can have a pale ale i can have a stout it's not just one option anymore and they were good they were really good and that feeling that flavor came rushing back that i i can still enjoy these flavors the way i used to and it was almost better in a sense because i was just drinking them for the flavor of it and i knew that i wasn't reaching for it because I just wanted to get drunk, which is what I was doing before. I was reaching for it for the flavor of it and the enjoyment of it. And I was able to sit and, and really pick apart the flavors without the, the muddling you know, effects, the foggy effects of, of alcohol. So that led into discovering non-alcoholic spirits. Again, oxymoron, what do you mean? There's non-alcoholic gin that doesn't make any sense in the same way that a veggie burger doesn't make any sense. But now, of course, it does, and you can find it on, on any menu across the country. So we built a bar. We, you know, we, we stocked 50-something bottles of non-alcoholic spirits in our, in our bar and was having so much fun making classic cocktails, reinventing cocktails, totally blown away by what we could make that was alcohol-free. But the one thing that really seemed to be missing was a fully alcohol-free cocktail bitter. Then, of course, there are a couple options out there, but there was nothing that for us really truly felt classic. You know, I, I was I was looking at at these range, these ranges of, of spirits. You know, there are Liars, for instance, makes 18 different spirits now. Absinthe, non-alcoholic absinthe. Again, doesn't make any sense, but it's delicious it, it, and it works well in cocktails like a Sazerac. The one thing that was missing was bitters. 
And so we are, are personally okay with using alcoholic bitters in our cocktails. We've got bottles of Angostura and Peychaud's and Reagan's, but not everybody is. There's a lot of non-drinkers that don't want to add a few dashes of 40% straight hard liquor to their non-alcoholic cocktail. Of course, it's not going to get you drunk. You can't get drunk off three dashes of bitters, but that's not the point. There are plenty of people who are totally uncomfortable with having even just that bottle in their liquor cabinet. They don't want the temptation of having a five ounce bottle of booze in their liquor cabinet. So I realized there were so many people out there that weren't able to fully complete the experience of making an old fashioned or a Manhattan because they didn't have the ingredients. I also, during the pandemic, everybody made sourdough. You know, my, my sourdough uh, moment was um, herbs. It was getting into to botany and herbalism and, and healing medicinal herbs and, and, and home fermenting, you know, non-alcoholic sodas, things like that. So I had gotten really into all these plants anyway. So about a year ago, a little over a year ago, I decided I wanted to play around with making bitters. I wasn't comfortable having a bottle of Everclear or a bottle of Overproof rum in the house. A bottle of bitters is one thing, but a, a full handle of Overproof rum is not something that I can keep in my house. So I said, I want to make bitters, but I, I, I can't make them alcoholic. I'm going to try making them, them non-alcoholic, alcohol-free. So I started playing around and was, was shocked by how good the first batch turned out. I kind of just threw stuff together. You know, I had done some research and some reading on, on how to make bitters at home, on classic styles and ingredients. And I threw something together and it was, it was really good. So we are making our bitters with vegetable glycerin, which is, you know, really one of kind of three main solvents that you could use to make bitters. High proof alcohol, of course, is, is the number one, is the most common. Glycerin is the second. And the third is vinegar, apple cider vinegar, which works in terms of, of extracting flavors in the same way that, that water works. You make tea, you make coffee with water, obviously. Vinegar works kind of the same way, but not as well in, in terms of the overall final flavor profile, because overwhelmingly what you're going to taste is vinegar. But it does work in, in terms of pulling out some of those flavors. So what we ended up settling on was a mix of glycerin, water, and apple cider vinegar. And so at the end of the day, the vinegar that we use isn't there for flavor. It's going back to the culinary sense. It's there to add a little bit of, of pop to the bitters. It's there to, to balance out the syrupiness and the natural sweetness that glycerin has on its own. It's there to brighten the flavors in the same way that if you squeeze lemon on broccoli or fish, it, 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 it simply enhances those flavors. Adding a little bit of apple cider vinegar to our bitters simply enhances the flavors. It's not something you can taste, but it makes the flavors pop and, and shine through a little more. Mm. Getting a little bit more into some of those extracting agents, it seems to me that uh, yes, you know, obviously vinegar is is effective at extracting flavor. Uh, vinegar is also pretty volatile in terms of its ability to you know give off aroma and kind of you know leach some of the stuff that it extracts into the air. Um, so from a preservation standpoint, not all that much better than water. And then you know what you get in terms of the primary complaint against glycerin as an extracting agent from a, a flavor standpoint, of course, is that slight sweetness 
maybe a slight textural complaint too, depending on who you're talking to. And it seems like that marriage of the ACV and the glycerin, you know, it, it, it sort of cancels out both of those weaknesses and, you know, they kind of prop each other up in that respect. So uh, really, really interesting to hear the, the, the logic and the rationale behind that. Um, and I love that you mentioned the uh, sort of medicinal backgrounds because bitters were medicine. Why do you, you need a spoonful of sugar to help the medicine go down because the medicine is bitter <laughs> because the medicine is bitters, or at least it was back in the 1800s when these products were first kind of, you know, kind of walked into the cocktail world. And if you do like I have, and many of our listeners have the research on the history of the cocktail, of course it has a really medicinal history. You know, it was a restorative, often drunk in the morning. Uh, you know, the whole cocktail etymology. Uh, I've gone over it so many times on the podcast that it, it doesn't bear repeating here. But um, you know, I, I don't think it, it's possible to have a good conversation about bitters without having uh, also the medicinal aspects brought out. So uh, hopefully, as we taste through these uh, flavors that you've sent along, you can maybe comment a little bit on some of the, not just the flavor use cases, but also some of the the reported wellness use cases for some of the ingredients that you've used as well. But I think this would be a great time to taste one. So why don't you walk me through what I'm going to taste here? Yeah, sure. So the, the first uh, aromatic is kind of our, our nod. It's inspired by Angostura. This is the, the, the staple of the bar cart. You know, if you're to stock one bitter, uh, Angostura is always going to be it. And so, you know, why we settled on these three flavors to start with was the idea, again, going back to wanting to really complete that non-alcoholic bar cart, what was missing from the space. And what was missing, we felt like were these classic flavors of bitters where you didn't have to guess as to what do I need to use in this recipe? We wanted to make it really clear. If you're making an old fashioned or a Manhattan, you, you're, you would use Angostura. So you're going to use our aromatic bitters. So aromatic is inspired by those same flavors. The, the, the primary flavoring agents are cinnamon, clove, nutmeg, allspice, those baking spices that you're going to taste in Angostura. We use a host of different bitter roots and herbs. And as you touched on earlier, the primary complaint with using glycerin, and really one of the things that I, I hope we're able to do, glycerin has a bad rap. You know, anybody that makes bitters, people who, anybody who bartends, anybody who knows cocktails, glycerin-based bitters tend to get talked down on a little bit for the, for the reasons you mentioned. It's syrupy, it's sweet. How do, you, how do you justify using something that's sweet to make something that you're calling bitters? From a practical standpoint, it's, it's one of the only things that you could use to make non-alcoholic bitters. So the challenge was, how do we overcome the sweetness? How do we overcome the syrupiness? And if you, you just tasted it straight, these straight, they're syrupy. They are. These are glycerin-based. These are mostly glycerin. Once it's added to a cocktail, add it, make a bitters and soda, you know, use three milliliters of, of bitters in an old-fashioned, that syrupy flavor, that syrupy texture doesn't come through at all. You're diluting it so much in the rest of the liquid that that, that syrup is, is, uh, is gone. If anything, in a non-alcoholic cocktail, which can often use a little more body, that glycerin, that syrup is actually benefiting the drink. You actually are adding a slight amount of viscosity. Again, not overly noticeable. It's not something that's going to turn people off. Like, don't drink straight glycerin. If you were to make a non-alcoholic spirit that was primarily glycerin-based, it would be kind of weird. 
But bitters you're using in such a small amount that it's not offensive. And if anything, it is adding a slight amount of texture and body and mouthfeel to the overall drink. The other challenge, which is a huge challenge, is glycerin is super, super sweet. There's no sugar. It's not, you know, you, you don't like, like making traditional bitters. You don't have to cut it. You don't have to add anything to it. It, it has enough balancing sweetness on its own. But the challenge is how do you overcome that massive amount of sweetness? And so what, what we've done, we, we found that we just used an absolute ton of herbs. We used a ton of raw botanical. So our, you know, if you look at recipes for bitters, if you look at recipes for, for classic alcoholic bitters, we're probably using two to three times more raw ingredient than you would in, in alcohol, simply by necessity, because we, we kind of have to. You don't need to use as much in alcoholic bitters. That, I'm not saying that as a, as a negative or as a, a criticism for alcoholic bitters, but alcohol is a much better solvent than glycerin is. You extract much more flavor with alcohol than you do with glycerin. You could use a teaspoon of gentian root in alcoholic bitters, whereas you might need to use, you know, an ounce. <laughs> you need to use 15 times the amount of gentian in a non-alcoholic bitter to get the same flavor. And so that's what we've done. We, we've packed it with an absolutely insane amount of, of herbs, spices, roots, fruit, citrus peels, everything to counteract the sweet flavor of glycerin and to, to pack enough flavor to get enough extraction out of glycerin, which is not as good a solvent, to get the same intensity of flavor that you would find in, in alcoholic bitters. And again, apple cider vinegar just kind of rounds, rounds that equation out a little bit. Sure. Yeah. Uh, a lovely, lovely aromatic bitter flavor profile. Um, I immediately got sort of like, a, you know, the baking spice, of course, you know, the, the allspice cinnamon clove trio comes out, which is also something you get from Ango. And then as you were, as you were kind of describing the uh, multifaceted bittering profile here, I mean, man, you really went for it. So with our bitters, <laughs> my rationale for using a single bittering agent, which is gentian, um, which you were just mentioning is because, you know, I really wanted that to be our constant, our K, you know, uh, you in California, you got a lot of good produce for a good portion of the year. We on the East coast, maybe don't have as much stuff right in our local area all the time. So when I'm getting oranges, you know, sometimes they're from Florida, sometimes they're from California, sometimes they're from Texas. Uh, there's some ingredient discrepancies and in, just in terms of, you know, the, the quality. And so I like to make our bittering agent as a separate extract and then dope that in to make sure that at the end I have a constant flavor profile, even if there are some ingredient quality fluctuations that I'm dealing with on the front end. Now with this, you've got almost, you've got dandelion root, <laughs> bittering agent, gentian root, bittering agent, burdock root, milk thistle seed. Those that's four right there. Yellow dock root. Is that all, also a bittering agent? So Yellow dock five. is bitter. It's bitter and sour. Yellow dock is a really, really interesting flavor. Um, that, that it, it adds, a, it adds a lot of different components to it. That is, that's intense. Uh, do, <laughs> how, how hard was it to, uh, to balance all of that out? Because, you know, my, my, another reason why I selected gentian as our, uh, sole bittering agent is because I view bittering agents as almost like a, almost like a, a plot arc, I guess you might say is like, there's some that are very mildly bitter, uh, and fairly flavorful, like uh, for example, hops would be very mm -hmm. flavorful, pretty bitter, but 
there's you can go way way up from there and then as you kind of head up the plot arc and things get more interesting you've got something like the quinine and then the, all of the the even more bitter quinines like quassia and then you get to the peak which is gentian which is the mm. most bitter but it really doesn't have any other flavors it's just bitter 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 and then as you start going down the other side you have other really bitter intense things like wormwood for example which is very bitter but also has sort of those uh, metallic earthy notes to it you've got like uh, other other things you use in amaro like the artichoke and cardoon stuff like that uh where it gets even kind of funkier and earthier um so how do you balance five different bittering agents in a single bottle uh it took a lot of trial and error um, like I said, we started with that, that first batch where I literally, I, I threw stuff together. I went outside and I picked dandelions and I threw dandelions in there. I don't know. Cause I thought it would be a good idea. Um, that batch was fun to make, but it wasn't, it was way far off from, from where we needed to go. So we settled on the, the primary flavors. We settled on the flavor profile that we were looking for, because first and foremost, we want these to be cocktail bitters. We want these to evoke the classic flavors of cocktail bitters. But we also, as, as kind of part of our directive in creating this, I wanted to tie it back into to medicine. I wanted to, to hearken back to the 1800s use of bitters as, as a daily tonic. Bitters were taken and, and you know, we've, most people I think are, are familiar with this, but bitters were taken as, as, as a tonic. They were taken for digestion. They were taken for everything, for malaria uh, for, for back pains and jaundice and erectile dysfunction and all kinds of crazy things that may or may not have actually worked. It was your multivitamin before multivitamins. <laughs> exactly. Which is, of course, where the, the use of, of bitters in cocktails came from was that you, the bitters tasted terrible. And so you mix them into a spirit with sugar and water and so that you could get the medicine down, of course. So we wanted to, to bring it back to that medicinal era while at the same time tying it with the classic flavors that bitters eventually evolved into bitters went from primarily being medicine to eventually being primarily for flavor for use in cocktails cocktail bitters are still of course have a medicinal value anything bitter is going to aid digestion any cocktail bitter on the market is going to have some level of medicinal value but we've grown away from the primary focus of bitters being medicine, and they're now more for flavor. We wanted to bring those two together. And so that's, first of all, kind of where the idea to include herbs like dandelion and burdock and yellow dock root came from, because they have an incredible medicinal value in terms of digestion, in terms of detoxification, of cleaning your blood, of, of cleansing your liver. <clears throat> that's where things like milk thistle seed came from. So the idea kind of came around at the same time. We figured if we were making bitters that were specifically going to be used in non-alcoholic cocktails, as well as regular, you can use this in a, in a, in a classic old fashioned, if you want, you can use it in anything, but for the most part, these are going to be used in alcohol-free cocktails and people who are quitting drinking for whatever reason, whether it's one month, out of the year or nine months or a week or forever have some interest in their health. You're quitting drinking for either your, your physical health, your mental health, your well-being. There's some aspect of health tied into the reasoning behind taking a break or quitting drinking. So we figured if we could 
tie these into health, why not? If we could give these a medicinal function, a health benefit, then why not? If you're going to be drinking bitters and soda throughout the day or making a cocktail at night, why not get a little bit of extra functional benefit in there as well? So that's kind of where the idea for those ingredients that are a little more esoteric than just gentian came from. We got it right by making it hundreds of times, by starting with a base recipe and tasting it side by side with Angostura, Peychaud's, Reagan's Orange, saying, okay, here's what works, here's what doesn't, and then making it again 20 times and tweaking one ingredient slightly, increasing dandelion a little bit, taking one ingredient out completely. I have, and I, I do this in cooking too, I have the problem of adding way too much of everything. I am not a subtle chef. I use every single spice in the cabinet and I use a lot of it. Um, I smoked for a long time. Maybe that's where that comes from. I don't know. But I did the same thing when I started making these. I threw in everything. Each bitter had 50 ingredients. They didn't make any sense. They were convoluted and confused. And so I slowly started to pull things back a little bit and refocus on what we were doing and then just tweaked it incrementally over and over again and, 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 and went from, you know, say five pounds of cinnamon to four pounds of cinnamon. And it was like, okay, there we go. That's better. And, and, of, and of course, you know, the, the bitter balancing those bitter elements is, is the hardest. But one of the things that I love about our bitters so much is that they not only tie into the classic flavors, they're inspired by classic cocktail bitters, but they have their own unique flavor. And it's what, by necessity, I feel like gives these the complexity that they need because they're at the disadvantage of being made with glycerin. Um, it needs something else to it. Non-alcoholic cocktails benefit from having something else to it. So not only are you getting the classic flavors of cinnamon, nutmeg, whatever, but you're also getting the added complexity of six, seven different bittering agents. And so these have their own unique, earthy, rooty flavor to them because they're made with roots. Gentian, like you said, is the cleanest bitter. It just tastes bitter. Gentian is the most amazing flavor in the entire world. But make a cup of dandelion tea or a cup of burdock tea, and they have their own beautiful flavor to them that is is kind of hard to describe unless you've you've tasted them. They taste like roots. They taste like earth. They're all unique. Burdock is very different from dandelion, although the two go together very often. But they each add their own voice to to the overall flavor profile. So at the end of the day, it was just it was it was a lot of trial and error over over the last year or so. I love imagining that process for you because I too have done the recipe development <laughs> game, and I, I just love imagining that process for you, beginning sort of in chaos as you were describing with the kitchen sink <laughs> approach, and then uh, as you apply the not the scientific method, but the the guess and check method of you know. Uh, stepwise manipulation of a recipe. I love imagining that chaos sort of fractalizing into clarity. Uh, and and <laughs> since it's really, it, it, it's one of the challenging, but also rewarding aspects of recipe development. Also just want to echo your sentiment that this is not Angostura bitters. Uh, if I were to bump into this in a dark alley, I would not confuse it for <laughs> Angostura, but certainly uh, an excellent substitute for any great aromatic bitters in uh, any of those, you know, classic old fashioned style cocktails. 
This episode is brought to you by Near Country Provisions. I've been a customer for about a year now, and I can say without hesitation that the delivery of frozen farm fresh meat that I receive from Adam and his team makes me do a little happy dance every month. Not only does Near Country offer grass-fed beef and pasture-raised pork, but they also have an awesome selection of chicken and seafood. And the best part is it's all local and it's all sustainably farmed and harvested. You can customize every order or simply leave the selection in their capable hands like I do. Near Country even offers fun add-ons like bones for soups and stocks, as well as special holiday offerings like turkeys, brisket, and more. If you live in the Mid-Atlantic, that's D.C., Maryland, or Virginia, and you're sick of the same bland selection at the grocery store, or you're looking to drastically improve the quality of the protein in your diet, Near Country Provisions has you covered. Head over to nearcountry.com and enter the code BARCART, all one word, when you sign up for your subscription to receive two free pounds of bacon or ground beef in your first delivery. That's BARCART, B-A-R-C-A-R-T, all one word, at checkout. This is easily one of the biggest quality of life improvements I've made in the last year or two, so I hope you'll give Near Country Provisions a shot and let me know what you think. Now, back to the show. Why don't we taste the orange here, and um, hopefully that will give us uh, another way to think about these flavors here, because uh, you were mentioning before we recorded that this was quite a bit different than the aromatic flavor profile. It is. And so the, the orange was, was, again, it's its own unique flavor, but was absolutely inspired by orange bitters like Reagan's specifically. I wanted to... To, to look at the the bitter that really put orange bitters in the in the public spotlight and really reinvented the category of, of bitters in itself. I felt like if we're going to pay homage to any orange bitter, it should probably be Reagan's. And so we focused more on flavors like cardamom and coriander specifically. Coriander, I realized as we were developing this, <laughs> does an incredible job of highlighting orange flavor. Coriander, I didn't, uh, I, I, I'm almost embarrassed to say this. I didn't realize until I started this how citrusy coriander is. And when you taste it on its own, it, it tastes a lot like oranges. And so the coriander helps to pull out some of that orange flavor, but also gives it its own herbaceous quality. Cardamom gives it a little bite. Caraway seed adds, adds another level of, of intrigue to it. So it was absolutely inspired by Reagan's. But again, you're not, if you taste them side by side, certainly straight, you're definitely not going to confuse the two. But a lot of the, the flavor profile was inspired and, and pulled from bitters like Reagan's. We wanted this to be more of a, a savory, spicy style of bitter, as opposed to being solely orange forward. There's nothing wrong with that. There's plenty of orange bitters on the market that are, that are just straight orange. If you want to add nothing but orange flavor, that, that's there, there are, those options exist. We wanted to bring in that bright orange flavor solely through bitter orange peel rather than adding orange extract, orange oil, any straight, you know, orange juice type of flavors, and instead solely relying on the, the citrus oils. So we use dried bitter orange peel. We use dried standard orange peel. We, we, we peel fresh oranges. We use a number of different oranges to, to pack that flavor in there. And again, <laughs> you use an absolutely ridiculous amount of, of orange peel on top of a ridiculous amount of gentian, burdock, 
ginger, all of those other components that are kind of standard across the three flavors, those those kind of wellness ingredients, the, the dandelion, burdock, uh, milk thistle seed, those exist in all the flavors, both for flavor and function. Each flavor has its own, I call it a bonus ingredient. Uh, the aromatic bitters uses holy basil, which is an adaptogen that helps our bodies manage stress. Different adaptogens and, and, and nervines are, are beneficial to our body in, in, in different ways, primarily through managing stress, uh, anxiety. They can be calming. Um, they can they can help uh, restore a fatigued body, etc. But I wanted to choose ingredients that would reflect the flavor profile of the bitter. So holy basil in particular tends to be pretty spicy. Um, it kind of has a baking spice, a pepper, a citrusy quality to it, and that really fit with the aromatic profile. For the orange bitters, we use lemon balm because it adds a citrusy quality to it. It adds a little mintiness. And again, it adds a, an earthy herbal quality. And so we wanted these not only, we wanted these to be reminiscent of, of classic cocktail flavors, but to really be their own thing. And, and, and where we leaned heavily into was kind of that herbaceous earthy quality. So the orange bitters also have that little bonus of, of lemon balm in there, which is nice. Yeah. It's a wonderful product to work with, um, either in its dried or its fresh form. A couple observations there. I, I, we also in our orange bitters use dried sweet, dried bitter orange and fresh orange peel. And it's so funny that, that that was the light bulb moment for us when we actually finally added all three of those into the formulation. That's when it finally started tasting right. So it's, it's really nice to hear that you also, that, that, uh, that, uh, that test has been replicated and approved by, by a laboratory on the opposite coast. Um, that when I saw lemon balm on the ingredients, I was like, it's kind of weird. Like, 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 <laughs> like, like it does have that slightly mentholated quality. And I was like, lemon balm with orange. Like, doesn't that just taste like drinking orange juice after you brush your teeth? Like is that, that's like one of the worst tastes. Um, but then as I tasted it and as you said, one ingredient that's not on the label, it, I'm sure it just falls under the, uh, the category of spices, but the spices, caraway seed, yeah. <laughs> caraway seed has that minty quality. And then you've got the apple cider vinegar. So, whereas I don't know that lemon balm might fit so well in an ethanol extract with orange for perhaps multiple different reasons, uh, flavorfully and texturally. But here I really do see it working because, you know, the, the, the ACV, uh, the, which has that like acetic, slight acetic bit, uh, bitterness really jives well with the, the kernelly aspect of the caraway. And, and again, the slight mintiness of both the caraway and the, um, the lemon balm. So, uh, what seemed at first to be uh, slightly, out of place actually makes a lot of sense now. Um, what, uh, what's, what's, what's a primary adaptogenic use of lemon balm? Lemon balm is, uh, is so there, there's two, two cat, two buzzwords of, of medicinal uh, herbs right now. Adaptogen and nervine is the other one. Nervine is um, hops is, is hops is the best example. Uh, valerian root, mm. catnip, uh, lemon balm, there's a, a handful of others, but nervines are specifically calming. Nervines are, are helpful for, for anxiety as opposed to adaptogens counteract and balance stress. Those sound similar, but they have slightly different functions. Mm. Anxiety versus just kind of when I say stress, it's, it's the, 
it's not like I'm stressed out because I have a, a paper due. It's just the, the natural stress that your body is under every day mm-hmm. by being awake and alive and inhaling exhaust fumes and, and whatever else. Fatigue uh, is a good example of, you know, the stress that, that, that your body is, is put under. Um, lemon balm is, is a nerving, which is calming and, and it's helpful for anxiety. It's helpful for, for sleep. None of these are used in, you know, I, I, one thing that I, I, I want to make clear is that these aren't dietary supplements. This is not an herbal supplement. This is not meant to be taken in place of medicine. These are cocktail bitters. These are meant to flavor drinks with the bonus of, of getting a medicinal value, a functional benefit from it. We don't use enough lemon balm that it's going to put you to sleep. And even if you drank a cup of lemon balm tea, it's not going to put you to sleep. It adds to that. It adds to helping you relax. It, it, it can help you go to sleep. Um, in addition to a proper sleep routine and proper diet and exercise, none of these things are cure-alls like bitters were, were marketed as in the 1800s. They were marketed as, as a cure-all for everything. None of these are cure-alls, but they do absolutely in, in, enhance your life when used in addition to a proper diet and sleep and exercise and everything else. Well, if, if you look at the brain and the body as a mutually reinforcing feedback loop, I think that your distinction between adaptogens and nervines and the distinction between uh, stress and fatigue, or uh, rather, uh, what is it, stress and anxiety? Mm-hmm. I think that makes sense because if, you know, like the body has this thing called homeostasis, it is like, you know, if you feel, if you are feeling good, it's your body's way of telling you like, hey, like, Things are generally going well in the homeostasis category, which is, you know, my way of trying to stay together as this entity I call Eric or this entity I call Ian. And if they're not feeling good, then, you know, it's saying, well, homeostasis ain't doing so well. Like I've had a long day, you know, maybe, maybe I've been breathing in too much of that exhaust for too long, or maybe I've been, you know, neglecting certain routines that I need. And so for me, the stress is like the literal fact that we live in an entropic universe and it's exerting crazy forces on our body and our body are somehow, is somehow resisting those forces and building itself up from inside. And then on the, on the flip side of things, the anxiety, you know, I'm not saying it, it starts either in the brain or the body, but the primary place where we experience it is certainly cortical neural in, in the, in our heads. And so it makes sense that, you know, if you're building things back up from the body with the, uh, adaptogens, you can also sort of calm things down on, you know, from the top down with the. Uh, nervine. So th- I don't know if that's a useful way of looking at it. It, it is. Uh, homeostasis is, is a great way of looking at it. You know, the, these are not only a, a tool for your bar, but these are a tool for your wellness and for keeping your body at, in, in check, for keeping your body in a constant place. And not only you touched on something really interesting, adaptogens, nervines, you know, the, the, these things that are that carry specific benefit. There's a connection between our brain and our gut and digestion. When you hear the term butterflies in your stomach, you're feeling nervous or you're feeling anxious because you are about to give a speech in front of 200 people, which makes your stomach feel upset. If, if your brain isn't functioning, your gut doesn't function well. And if your gut isn't functioning well, then your brain doesn't function well. So if there's a problem with your digestion, you're going to be stressed out because it's going to affect your brain. 
So not only, you know, were we going for the, the specific functions of the ingredients in these bitters, but the overall general idea of if you can impact your digestive system, if you can help your kidney, your liver, your stomach, that is going to help you manage stress in its in itself because your your brain isn't being messed around by by the fact that you're you're having some digestive issues. That's kind of a, a overall, I think one of the, the the most positive impacts of using something like a digestive bitter is that it, it, it it's homeostasis. It regulates not only your stomach, but it regulates your entire body. Yeah. There's like this crazy thing that like literally sticks down into your stomach called the vagus nerve, direct main line to the brain. Uh, so yeah, it makes, it makes a lot of sense why all this is connected. And it really, it really does, you know, I want to get in onto this last uh, bottle that we need to taste before we jump into the lightning round here. But you know, the thing that that makes me think of is the conversation that I was having with Derek Brown about mindfulness and mindful mixology. Well, one of one of the other terms that really accompanies mindfulness is embodied cognition. When when you're able to, you know, get your mind into a, a certain space where, you know, it's relaxed and things are going well, you know, that has cascading effects on the body. And so my primary, I, I don't want to call it my primary gripe with non-alcoholic cocktails or no ABV cocktails, but I say most often where they go wrong is that they are so focused on alcohol being the devil and exercising the devil that they leave a void where alcohol was actually doing some interesting work in the body. And so for me, I think that it's so important that if you're like, maybe not so important, but like the easiest way in my mind to create a non-alcoholic cocktail that actually approximates or does something very similar, if not better than an actual cocktail does, is to actually have it have some sort of effect on the body. It doesn't necessarily need to be like you drink it and then within five minutes you feel like like actually like tipsy or something like that. But I want it to have some effect on my mood. I drink a cocktail because I want it to have an effect on my mood. And if you're if you're just exercising the devil ethanol, you're not necessarily providing what that was doing in a certain manner of speaking. So I'm so glad that we were able to get into some of the in granular ingredient level stuff because I think it goes beyond just holy basil and it goes just beyond you know adaptogens and nervines. It goes to what a cocktail is supposed to evoke in your life. So um, yeah, I, I don't know if you have any thoughts on that before we taste the New Orleans Creole style. I, I, I think you nailed it. There's there the reason why we're seeing so many of these non-alcoholic spirits come out that are focusing on adaptogens that are focusing on functional benefits is you need to replace some of what you've you've taken out. You know, I I think we're we're talking more and more about this space in terms of less in terms of what's missing and more in terms of what's been added. More in terms of of what what do you get from this. And I, you know, I, I caution people from expecting too much from some of these spirits that are, are using, you know, calming ingredients, things like that. They're not going to make you feel like alcohol. There's no replacement for, for ethanol. It, it doesn't exist. But they are going to give you a functional benefit in terms of, of homeostasis, in terms of balancing yourself out, uh, in terms of making your, 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 
biological makeup work function better. <laughs> it's not going to make you feel drunk, but it's going to it's it's going to help your overall system, which is important. And and if we can get that with the ritual of drinking a cocktail of the the placebo, not even the placebo, but the connection of 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 enjoying and 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 picking apart the flavors if you're a bartender creating the flavors but of sipping and sitting down and, and sipping a drink and being able to enjoy the company of friends with a cocktail in hand to to be able to sit for hours and and talk the way that you used to over cocktails but then drive home afterwards if you can get some function to that some benefit to that while you're drinking for 2 hours why not why not include those 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 healthful ingredients in these products yeah it evokes uh, almost the hospitality and and uh sort of emotional effects of the tea ceremony almost where it's Absolutely. like all right well you know it's it's something that you can do as an act of hospitality as an act of ritual and you know the, i i have a contention that cocktails mean something you know especially if you're going to go through all the effort of putting ingredients together in different ratios and then uh, transforming them with ice or with some other technique for mixing and integrating the flavors and then putting some thought into service method. To me, that means something and it's going to mean different things to different people, but I think at the end of the day, it does mean something. And I, I'm, I'm not quite sure. Like I, I, I think that if there's one place that, that we can, do better in the non-alcoholic cocktail space. It is figuring out, like you, like you were kind of mentioning, how we can do better to communicate that positive use case, as opposed to making it sound like an '80s, '90s movie where it's the nerds versus the jocks, and uh, you know, eventually we have to somehow get to the the place where then we realize that the nerds were cool all along in their own way for not imbibing alcohol. Because as a guy who drinks regular cocktails very often, I don't feel like a jock when, uh, <laughs> like, so, so if I'm not getting the benefit of the power trip of picking on the nerds, then like, and, and I, I just want to be in a non-alcoholic space where the focus is on what's being presented. And I think that's, what's so compelling about uh, what we've been tasting here today and just the thought process that you've had for putting the flavors together. Um, so why don't you explain how the, uh, I guess the third big style here, this New Orleans style bitters is working. Um, it's got some really cool color to it. The, the New Orleans is, is so again, inspired by Peychaud's, but is probably the furthest from the inspiration. New Orleans was absolutely the hardest one to get right. Um, we went through months and months of, of going, this is so far off from tasting like anything from resembling Peychaud's, from resembling anything that I would want to drink. This was really hard to balance these flavors. And so where we ended up kind of landing was a bitter that was Peychaud's. Let's back up for a second. Peychaud's compared to Angostura. You taste them side by side. They have different flavor components, obviously. But overall, Peychaud's is, is easier to taste and drink than Angostura. It's less bitter. It's fruitier. It's more fun. If you were to characterize them, I'd characterize Peychaud's as being a little more fun than Angostura. And so we kind of leaned into that angle and our New Orleans bitters are, they're fruit forward. They're cherry, 
their hibiscus, which has its own kind of raspberry, cranberry, floral flavor to it. Rose hips, which again, add kind of a tart, fruity aspect to it. And then heavily aniseed, star anise, and fennel seed. So uh, again, in the same way that they're, they're very different from Peychaud's, you still get those classic notes of anise and cherry, which you're going to find in Peychaud's. So if you're to use these in a Sazerac or any other cocktail, you're going to get that aroma of anise, which is the predominant flavor in Peychaud's. That's the predominant aroma. But these are decidedly fruit forward. These are cherry, they're sour, they're bright, they're tart. These are, are, are kind of our, our fun bitters. These are really approachable, really easy. But again, you mix them in 12 ounces of soda water and it's not going to taste like, like cherry juice. It, it tastes like spice and anise and, and a hint of fruit. It, once you mix it into a drink, it doesn't taste sweet. On its own, these are on, on, on the sweeter side, which is why they were a little harder to balance. One of the, the benefits of, of doing small batches, we make about 5,000 bottles at a time completely by hand. It's, it's Carly and I doing everything from, from start to finish by hand, is that we get to make tweaks along the way. And so with every new batch, we get to change things a little bit. So with the next batch that we're, we're starting right now, we've increased the gentian root a little bit. We've increased the dandelion a little bit. Uh, we upped the apple cider vinegar a little bit to, to try and counteract and balance some of that inherent sweetness in this, then to give it a little more depth and, and complexity and roundness. But I, I, this is out of all three, this has ended up being my, my favorite and what we go through hands down the most of we've gone through eight, 10 bottles of this in the last couple months. It goes in everything. It's just at the end of the day, it's, it's super tasty. It's easy. And it's just, it's just kind of, I, I just find it delicious. So you said, was it 5,000 bottle batches? Yeah. So I imagine that your favorite part is the heat seals, right? Yeah. <laughs> uh, right now, yes. Um, one at a time, shrink banding every single bottle by hand. Oh, man. Uh, stamping the bottom of every bottle with a, a, a date sticker. Um, and physically bottling 5,000 bottles by hand without a bottling line. It takes like two weeks. Oh, do you not have a bottle? Like, do you have a single no. fill? Do you have a single fill? <laughs> it's, it's, it is two nozzles. Okay, um, I was going to say, you have some sort, you're not just like hand, you're not eyeballing this. No, 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 no. We have, we have, a, we have equipment. We have some proper equipment, but we're, we're in this. I wish that when we had started, somebody had written a book on how to create and launch a, a mid-sized bitters company because so much of this, we had no idea what we were doing. We got our first drums of glycerin and I was pushing them physically across the kitchen because I didn't realize I needed a specific dolly to move 55 gallon drums. Obviously that's something that exists. I thought you could just use a regular dolly. You can't. So I was physically pushing barrels across the kitchen. We now have a drum dolly. We've upgraded bottling machines from a single fill that took, for instance, 12 seconds to fill a bottle to now we have two nozzles that do it in four seconds. So we're, we're slowly evolving as we move forward, but we're, we're still at the scale where we can't, we don't have a bottling line. We don't have crazy high-tech equipment. We're doing everything by hand. We're making enough that we can get it out there into distribution. We've, we've had conversations with eight different countries that want to import our bitters. We've talked to distributors. We've talked to retailers across the country. We're making enough that we can get the product out there, but we're, we're not big enough yet that we can move into our own space. We don't, we can't afford a bottling line yet. We don't have any employees yet. 
Um, we 2022, we, we really hope by all indications of, of the response that we've had so far from the, the community, um, we hope that this is going to, to grow pretty quickly and that we can stop shrink banding 5,000 bottles at a time. Um, that's like our closing side work. Like every night we put the kids down and then we do two hours of shrink banding, which is not sustainable. We can't do that forever, but that's where we're at right now. <laughs> oh yeah. Oh yeah. I, uh, I feel your pain. I feel your pain. Uh, well, uh, before we wrap up on the New Orleans style, um, why don't you give us a drum roll, please? Featured botanical is? Shisandra Berry. What is Shisandra Berry? <laughs> Shisandra Berry is uh, also called Five Spice Berry, Five Flavor Berry, I'm sorry. It is a, a Chinese herb. It's one of the more potent adaptogens out there. <laughs> there were uh, studies done in the 60s or 70s in, in the Soviet Union on, on, uh, on hunters um, that found that Shisandra Berry uh, increased night vision, uh, decreased fatigue, did all kinds of stuff. It was, it was used you know, in, 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 in military trials um, to see what effect it would, it would have on the body. Again, we're not using enough of it to, 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 to keep you up at night. It's just enough to complement everything else, and to just to add a little a little bonus of of, uh, of of functional benefit. But Shisandra is a fascinating flavor. It's called Five Flavor Berry because it literally contains all five flavors: salt, sweet, umami, bitter. Uh, it's it's a, a kaleidoscope of flavors that is not for everybody. Um, if you taste it on its own, I think you're either going to fall into the camp of this is my favorite thing ever, or I can't believe you just served this to me. In addition to everything else that's in these bitters, it, it simply is, is one more voice in the chorus that helps to balance it and helps to add unique flavor. And, and again, helps to make our New Orleans bitters incredibly flavorful and, and carry a strong flavor, which is more difficult to achieve when you're using glycerin. And that is a spirits making move that you just described. That's how gin makers describe fixatives or binders like orris root. Um, of course, this doesn't taste anything like those, but when you've got other kind <laughs> of fruity flavors in there, like the hibiscus, the rose hips, uh, you've got the cherry in there, like, of course, the Shisandra berry, different aspects of it, different of its personalities are going to latch on to the other ones and kind of pull them in for a little hug uh, and kind of make everything a little bit more consonant. So uh, that makes complete sense to me. Uh, super fun, as you described. Uh, I love that all three of these have such unique uh, personalities. And um, I think that you've got a hell of a lineup on your hands so far. Um, so Thank congrats, you so congrats on that. And uh, it's been really exciting to taste these uh, with the expert and the, the, <laughs> and the manual labor, uh, that, that <laughs> produced them. So, um, hopefully not for too long. We'll see. Yeah. Yeah. Like I said, I feel your pain and you can always call me if you need to vent. Um, yeah. but <laughs> I guess that, that leads me to our last question. Here's like, what, what's the, what is the future besides doing more and getting more efficient and getting these out to more markets? Uh, do you have any flavors that you're planning on pursuing? Do you have any, uh, partnerships or activations or causes that you're really excited about that you're going to be working on uh, over the next year or two? We are. Yeah, we have. Uh, all I've been doing for the last year and a half is is dreaming big. And now that we're finally here and we finally, you know, created the the, the base, the core lineup, we're super excited to, to move forward and to grow. 
And so we're, we're playing with a number of additional flavors. I think now that we've gotten the, the core lineup down, the classic flavors, I'm really excited to, to move into the more fun aspect of bitters, which is the, the more unique flavor profiles. And so I want to continue leaning into the functional aspect of it. I think everything that we produce is going to have a benefit to it, but I'm excited to branch out into different different focuses. Um, as an example, we're playing right now with a lavender chamomile bitters and the bittering agent. We, we, I, I decided not to use gentian at all in that one. Instead, I'm using a, a nervine, uh, called blue vervain, which is, is super bitter is grassy in the same way that wormwood. Have you, have you had tasted blue vervain before? I have not. Okay. So in the same way that wormwood is, is grassy and earthy and herbal, in addition to being in insanely bitter blue vervain is super super sharp and bitter hmm. but also carries with it the functional benefit of being a relaxant and and helps with stress mm -hmm. so like for example vervain. exactly so lavender chamomile we're using in that one i think i've got rose petals rose hips uh blue vervain as the bitter so leaning into uh, a passion flower a number of other strong relax and strong nervines, but again, tying it into the flavor profile of floral of predominantly lavender with all these other supporting characters that add both additional complexity in terms of flavor, but also complexity in terms of the, the overall functional benefit to it. So a number of, of really fun flavors that I'm looking forward to, to branching out and, and playing with, especially because again, in a non-alcoholic space, there are only so many alcohol-free, fully alcohol-free bitters options. And so for the folks that, that don't have access to the hundreds of amazing, super fun flavors of bitters out there, which again, in the non-alcoholic space can, can be a huge benefit because you're adding the, these really intense flavors to drinks that may, may really need them. There's not a lot of options out there for alcohol-free, fun bitters flavors. So we're excited to lean into those. We're excited to, to move eventually into the ready to drink space, the bitters and sodas. Um, again, using, you know, probably some, some functional extracts, maybe getting into CBD bitters and sodas again, going back into, you know, what are you putting in rather than what are you taking out? I think there's a, there's a huge opportunity for, for CBD to be incorporated into non-alcoholic beverages. It, it doesn't, it's not intoxicating. It's non-habit forming, but it does relax you. It does, you know, after drinking a, a bottle of non-alcoholic CBD wine, you are going to get a relaxed feeling nowhere near what you're going to get after even a single glass of wine, but there absolutely is a calming effect. So we're excited to, to eventually lean into to CBD and, and other functional beverages like that. There's, there's a number of directions we're excited to go. Awesome. Well, we are going to have links to everything over on the show notes page at modernbarcart.com forward slash podcast. By the time this comes out, uh, we will have everything up and live and folks will be able to head over to your website, browse everything. You've got a great story. Uh, you've got a lot of great information on the functional ingredients in your different flavors. And uh, of course, they'll be able to purchase their bottles right there. Do you have anything else you wanted to add before we jump into the lightning round? No, let's go for it. Well. Uh, 
we're in the space of non-alcoholic cocktails. So I'm wondering if you have a favorite non-alcoholic cocktail or a go-to non-alcoholic cocktail. Um, in ter- like if you had to pick one out of the entire pantheon of no ABV drinks that you enjoy, what's your favorite? My favorite cocktail when I was drinking was a Negroni and that still holds true for the non-alcoholic space. Um, fortunately there are a number of really great bittersweet orange liqueurs on the market. Um, Jaffard actually makes one of my favorites and it's not even really technically a spirit. It's a syrup. It's their aperitif syrup mm-hmm. and it is incredibly concentrated and strong. It, it, it is, it is a Campari lookalike for sure. There are some amazing non-alcoholic gins on the market, some great sweet vermouths. So a Negroni is surprisingly easy to make and to carry that intensity that a, an alcoholic Negroni has. Uh, it translates really well to the non-alcoholic space. I think my, my wife, Carly, her favorite cocktail when we were drinking was an aviation. Uh, and again, it's another drink that, that translates surprisingly well in the non-alcoholic space. There are some ingredients that you have to, to tweak a little bit and play with, but you can get a violet syrup um, instead of maraschino, which doesn't exist yet. Yet, I'm sure it's coming. Doesn't exist yet in the non-alcoholic spirit space. One of my favorite things to do in, in making cocktails and what's so fun about non-alcoholic cocktails is finding those alternatives for flavors that don't exist in, in alcohol-free spirit form and figuring out how to balance them. Because of course, you know, using a violet syrup gives you a violet flavor, but it also gives you sweetness, which you're not going to find as much of in, in a creme de violette. Maraschino isn't sweet necessarily. It has some fruit to it, but it's also nutty. Um, you know, it, it, it's, it's a very unique flavor profile. So instead, what I use in an aviation is a bar spoon of cherry syrup from a jar of brandy cherries and a little bit of orgeat because orgeat gives you that nutty component. Is it anything like maraschino? No, it's much sweeter. So you balance it with a little extra lemon juice or a bar spoon of apple cider vinegar finding ways to balance these drinks and finding the alternatives to the alcoholic spirits is super fun. And when you get it right, they're absolutely delicious. Just as good as the regular. I've made so many cocktails, tasted so many cocktails in zero proof form that are better than anything that I've had in, in my years of, of drinking. When you get it right, they can absolutely be just as satisfying. Uh, and a Negroni or an Aviation made right are, are two good examples, I think. Well, we've got a bunch of stuff in terms of the no ABV spirits that we'll be featuring later this month. May There's so much of it that it may bleed into February. It might be a partially dry uh, February as well. But uh, yeah, I'm looking forward to trying out both of those formats. And yeah, the, the Orshot, that's exactly where my brain went as well. So really smart there. Uh, next question is, uh, what is a seemingly small or idiosyncratic event or occurrence that always makes your day? <laughs> I don't know if this exactly falls into the definition of, of idiosyncratic. And it also uh, gives away the fact that I'm uh, emotionally 12 years old. Um, <laughs> whenever I see an article that was published at 420 or, or, a, or, or a best buy date of 420, I can't help but laugh and, and wonder if it was done on purpose. Um, mm-hmm. Was that article timed to be posted at 420? Was the best buy date skewed? to be 420. Um, I can't help but giggle every single, I don't even smoke weed. I just, I can't help but giggle every time I see it. (laughs) 
<laughs> That's brilliant. Yeah, all of the many, many of the uh, many of these are uh, designed to bring you back to the to the mind of an eight year old. Yeah, it's 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 that pure childish delight. So that's that's a, that's a really funny one. Uh, if you could have a cocktail, no ABV cocktail with anybody in the world, past or present, who would it be? Where would you go? What would you enjoy? Just paint us a picture. Uh, Jerry Thomas, without a doubt. I, I don't know if that's you know a, a kind of a cop out answer, but. Flipping through the the bartender's guide from 1862, there's a section in back about temperance drinks. And I don't know when the last time you you perused his temperance drink chapter was, but the first cocktail is a milk seltzer. It's half milk, half soda water. The next 12 cocktails are all different versions of lemonade. It's all orgeat lemonade, lemonade with this amount of sugar, lemonade with seltzer water, it's great that at the time they were making non-alcoholic cocktails that they were, they, you know, the, the bartenders were considering non-drinkers, obviously, you know, temperance was a thing. Prohibition was a thing. It's great that they were, they were serving that community. They were serving non-drinkers, but I would love to show the professor how far non-alcoholic spirits have come. Um, I would love to sit down with him and have a maple old fashioned with our, aromatic bitters uh, and, and and Monday whiskey or free spirits or Kentucky 74 or whistle pigs, newly released non-alcoholic six year aged rye whiskey. Uh, no, no I think that he would be absolutely blown away. Yeah. Huh, I didn't know. Uh, whistle whistle pig released a, <clears throat> they released it. I think the third or fourth day of January. Um, oh. It is their six year aged rye that they have uh, reverse engineered. They removed the alcohol from and then added things back into it. But it is, as far as I know, the first true non-alcoholic rye whiskey. It's the first non-alcoholic spirit that's been aged for six years. Uh, the, the, the article that came out at first said that they planned on selling it through January. And of course it sold out in the first day. It's listed at $50 a bottle. So for anybody listening who isn't sure, any bartenders, bar managers, that aren't sure of the the uh, selling power of putting a non-alcoholic cocktail on your menu. If you're unsure if you can charge $14 for a non-alcoholic cocktail, the answer is absolutely you can. Um, you will you, $50 a bottle. It's the most expensive non-alcoholic spirit on the market right now, and it's sold out in a day. Yeah, that's nuts. I'm <laughs> glad that you mentioned that. Um, so. As a bar and restaurant uh, veteran, I, I think you'll have an answer to this, but uh, do you have any controversial views or beliefs in the uh, beverage world? <clears throat> yeah, no, I don't know, you know, at, at this point how controversial this is, although it, it, I, the in the non-alcoholic world, everybody is certainly divided on it. And I know it's something that you've touched on a number of times is the word mocktail. And, and I, I don't want to say that there's anything inherently wrong with it. I think that the word mocktail has served an incredible purpose. I think that it's going to continue to serve a, 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 a great purpose, which is mocktail is a word that's easily understandable. You know, I, I don't have an issue with the term fake meat or faux meat. And I was, you know, I was vegetarian for, for 10 years. I was never offended by the word fake meat. It was obvious what you were talking about. Mocktail is the same thing. Mocktail is, is, is a fake cocktail, essentially. Rhymes it's an easy cocktail. introduction. I'm sorry? 
It rhymes with cocktail. That's the best part about it. It does. Which, exactly. which exactly describes the relationship between a mocktail and a cocktail. <laughs> it rhymes with it. Um, you know, it, it has been beneficial, I think, but I, I don't think the non-alcoholic beverage space is fully going to realize its potential until we move away from that word and move into whatever word you want to use. I prefer non-alcoholic cocktail. It's straightforward. Everybody knows what a cocktail is. Everybody knows what non-alcoholic is. I think that for, for consumers, mocktail works. People know what a mocktail is. They know that they can go into a restaurant and say, do you have a mocktail? And the server knows what they mean. It serves a purpose. But in terms of pushing the category forward and having bartenders, bar managers take these products and these drinks more seriously, I think the more we move away from mocktail the more they start referring to these drinks as non-alcoholic cocktails, the more serious they're going to take them. And they should be taken seriously. 60% of the country has less than one drink a week. 30% of the country doesn't drink at all. I was guilty of it. I know that a, a huge chunk of the restaurant industry is guilty of, of not catering to non-drinkers. We feel like if you're sitting at our bar, you should be ordering a drink. I, I, my time is being wasted by making you a muddled mint and lemonade. You know, I, 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 I don't get to practice my craft if I'm not making you a cocktail. You can make a cocktail. You can make an incredibly complex, delicious cocktail that takes even more work and more craftsmanship to get right. But I don't think those people are going to fully respect and, and, and realize the potential of NA drinks until we move away from, from the term. I definitely agree that that is absolutely where things are headed and should be headed as, uh, as we get a little bit more sophisticated with the tools, techniques, and ingredients that go into these cocktails. Uh, so Ian, this, this has just been tremendous. Uh, congratulations on launching these awesome products. Thank you for sharing your insights and your expertise with us. And uh, would you just mind sharing with our listeners how they can get in touch with you and uh, find all the information they need uh, in the digital space? Sure. We are on Instagram, Facebook, uh, not Twitter or TikTok yet because I just haven't, I haven't gotten there. Um, but we, you can find us at, at, at all the bitter on Instagram or Facebook and all the bitter.com is our website. Brilliant. Uh, well, Ian, best of luck as you continue to roll these products out, best of luck with all those delightful shrink bands and, uh, <laughs> and, and, uh, <laughs> dollies that, that roll around with your with your huge <laughs> barrels of uh, of glycerin i can just picture you in, in in the kitchen with your wife having having lots of fun with all of this but uh again best of luck as, and continued success and thanks so much for being a guest here on the modern bar cart podcast thank you so much for having me here Hey everybody, thanks for listening. If you enjoyed this episode, there's two big things you can do for us here at Modern Bar Cart. One would be to tell your friends and family if you think they'd enjoy listening to us talk about cocktails. And if they don't download podcasts, they can always stream our episodes on their desktop directly from the show notes page at modernbarcart.com. The other thing you can do to help would be to head on over to iTunes or wherever you download your podcasts and leave us a review. Five stars are great, but we're more interested in your feedback. 
And the beauty is, the more reviews we have, the easier it will be for other folks out there to learn about our show. We're trying to start a cocktail revolution here, and by spreading the word, you're helping us fight the good fight. You can always reach us by emailing podcast at modernbarcart.com if you're looking for cocktail or bartending advice, or if you're a pro who would like to pull up a mic and be interviewed for all to hear. Also, definitely follow us on Instagram and Facebook at Modern Bar Cart for cocktail porn, recipes, and entertaining tips. And keep an eye out for new product releases and special offers, which are happening all the time. We love our listeners, and we really enjoy giving you exclusive discounts and sneak peeks at our latest and greatest cocktail projects. This episode may be over, but for you, the mixological fun and adventures are just beginning. So remember, folks, drink responsibly and experiment boldly. This episode was made possible with editing and sound design by Samantha Reed. Bitters and no ABV cocktail insights courtesy of Ian Blessing of All the Bitter and a little bit of interview magic by yours truly. This has been a Modern Bar Cart production, copyright 2022.